it's evident we are designed to only be close with a handful of people, 10 to 12 people. There's a reason that Jesus had 12 and not 80 or 100 or 1,000. He preached to thousands. He was influential to thousands, but he was discipling 12. Welcome to How We Do House Church. My name is Dr. Jason Barker, and I serve as the academic dean at Reformation Seminary, where it is our mission to train men to plant biblical house churches all around the world. I'm joined here, as always, by our founder and president, Dale Partridge. Dale, thanks for joining us today. I'm excited to be here. So our goal each time that we gather is to discuss one question that is relevant to house church planting. And today, Dale, it's a pretty big but sort of general broad question, and that is this. Dale, why house church? Yeah, so this is a question I think a lot of families, a lot of Christian uh, men and women are asking themselves right now. Why house church? They want to know more about it. I think that it starts with my experience is that I was looking at my Bible with my left hand and then looking at my Sunday experience in my right hand, and they weren't matching up. And so that was the beginning or the inauguration of the journey of really seeking out alternative expressions of church. I didn't want something that was unbiblical, but I was definitely frustrated with how extra biblical the traditional church had become. The things that we did at church, I wasn't finding in scripture like children's ministry, the pragmatism, the monologue versus a dialogue, the visitor-centric versus the committed-centric focus. There's a variety of those things. I don't remember who said it, but they said that going to church should be more like going to the gym and less like going to the movies. And I thought that was really profound because I was feeling this sense of contributor Christianity. I wanted to be involved, but really I was an inactive spectator. I was having inactive spectator Christianity or audience Christianity. And so there just started to be a, a rub on my heart. And this is over 10 years ago. And it took a long time to figure out what a biblical expression of house church really looked like. But that was the, the sense of I wanted the deeply connected, intimate relationships that were so prevalent in scripture, but not prevalent in my life. And so Veronica and I started having discussions about that and what that looked like. And we started going from bigger church to smaller church to smaller church to smaller church. There's a metaphor I once heard uh, or an illustration about polar bears. And there was a, a polar bear that was born in New Mexico. And polar bears, interestingly, they can live in New Mexico but they can't reproduce in that type of climate. And uh, a polar bear from Washington state comes up to this polar bear in New Mexico and says, hey, I know you think that New Mexico is the habitat for the polar bear, but I'm telling you, Washington, it's cool. There's some snow parts of the year. The habitat for the polar bear is, is uh, here in Washington. Well, he goes up to Washington. A polar bear comes down from Alaska and says, hey, guys, I know you think that Washington is the place where the habitat for the polar bear is, but it's cold year round here in Alaska and there's snow most of the year. You really should come to be in Alaska. Well, finally, the Antarctic polar bear comes and says, well, polar bears, there's only one habitat for the polar bear and it's Antarctica. And 
that is where the polar bear flourishes. Well, that concept is how I think about biblical church, is that we have found Antarctica. It's this place where you go, wow, I'm never going to go back to a traditional function. Now, that being said, we love the traditional church. Absolutely love it. Between us leaving Oregon and planting a house church here in Arizona, we were at a traditional church worshiping the Lord with our brothers and sisters in Christ there. But there is just a sense of of several vital elements that are missing. So that was the drive. There's other parts that we can chat about, but that was the the personal and intimate drive. So I, I have a question for you. You hit on an interesting dynamic, and it and it has to do with the size of churches. Uh, you mentioned kind of coming from a larger church into a smaller church. Why is it that in the church world, we seem to think that larger is better? And if you think about it, in every other area of life, we want smaller. We want our children in smaller classrooms because we understand there's an educational benefit to that. You don't take your entire extended family with you when you go on vacation, just your immediate family, your wife and your kids. If we acknowledge that smaller is better and and more effective and preferable, why is it that the, the, the benchmark, the ruler for churches is the bigger they are, the better they are? Yeah, we've all fought for our children's classrooms to be smaller. And we've all fought for, you know, if you, if you go to a conference and there's a certain influential individual leading that conference, you pay more when there's less people, implying that less is more. And it's interesting that there's an inconsistency that we're not applying that same principle to church where we think more is better. When in reality, it's proving almost on every metric that it's not. I mean, I think that it's evident we are designed to only be close with a handful of people, 10 to 12 people. There's a reason that Jesus had 12 and not 80 or 100 or 1,000. He preached to thousands. He was influential to thousands, but he was discipling 12. And and he was single, right? Didn't have a family. And, and so, I mean, if you asked your wife and you go, hey, how many friends do we have that are like, we could drop our kids off for a couple nights without even asking and trust that everything's going to be good. And these are, I'm not talking family. I'm talking just friends. You might have two or three families. Right. At most, right? At most. And so we don't have the time to be close with 40 people. We have the time to be close with maybe five to 10 people if we work at it. I mean, at a house church, we have, say, 10 families, 12 families. If I wanted to get dinner with every one of those families once a month at 12 families, that's three dinners a week. That's not going to happen. Right. Not exactly. when you have little kids. So it might take me two months to get through with a dinner, and that's still having a dinner at least once a week or twice a week, probably more realistically, three months to have dinner with just every family in our 12-family house church. You turn that into a 50, 70, 80 family church, and you might get dinner once every year and a half with your pastor. There's just a lack of deeply connected relationships that can be achieved in a larger gathering. And so uh, one thing I want to talk about more, Jason, is this idea of institutional distrust. Right. Yes. I think people are seeing it in every possible category in business and economics and education and medical. And there's this kind of fear of big being dishonest. You've been in ministry for 20 years. Yeah. And you're, you were talking to me about 
the one thing you love about house church is that there's no money involved. <laughs> Just talk, talk about that for a second. Yeah. You know, one of the challenges in, in being a pastor and being in ministry uh, is that there are often things that you know you need to say or, or counsel you want to give from the full counsel of Scripture. Uh, but you're often having to decide, do I sugarcoat this? Do I deliver it in the way that it needs to be? Do I deliver it all? Because I am relying on this paycheck to provide for my family. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, you know, like many things in life, when money gets involved, it, it does tend to make it more challenging and you do feel like your hands are tied a little bit. So in this house church format, that's while we do believe that, that a pastor should be should be paid for his service. Uh, it, it's not by design going to be a full-time income. And, and so you're very much freer to do ministry the way that, that is in line with scripture. Yeah. You don't have a salary in a house church model. Uh, you can receive giving, uh, but it's your, your bivocational. Uh, it allows you to be free in the way that you speak. Uh, there's a quote by Upton Sinclair that I've twisted uh, that says something like, <laughs> at least you're honest. About uh, yeah. It, right? It's like, it's difficult for a man to preach on something when his salary depends on him not preaching it. Yeah. And that is so true. And then in addition, like we can reinvest all the money that's used for the landscaping budget or the parking lot painting or the sign or the electric bill. You can reinvest those financial realities into other things locally in your ministry. And so we already have buildings. They're just houses. And I think the big gap really, as we kind of wrap up this episode, is people are just intimidated because they don't know how to begin. It's difficult to take someone to something you've never been yourself, and you, you can't explain what you don't understand. And so there's this barrier to entry to house church that we're hoping to solve, obviously, with this podcast, episode after episode, letting people learn um, what it is, what it's like so that they can feel more confident to establish one of these. No, absolutely. Uh, before we wrap up, I want to touch back on one thing that you mentioned. You, you talked about the relational depth and the intimacy of relationships. And I know multiple times, and separate from, from this podcast, you and I have discussed the what we would probably call an epidemic of loneliness in society today. I, I think it's really important to touch on on this topic. How does house church help with that? Yeah, so last Sunday I actually preached on the New Testament call to one anothering, this mutual ministering of the gospel. And there's over a hundred instances where this Greek word alelon appears. And it's this idea of one anothering, this deeply intimate relationship, you know, confess your sins into one another and pray for one another that you may be healed, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ, love one another, be humble towards one another. You know, they're, they're all over the New Testament. Most Christians have not had a chance to experience more than a few of those one another's carried out in their own life. And the loneliness factor, this sense of everything's 10 feet wide and one inch deep, where we know each other, but we don't really know each other. Right. House church forces an environment that produces a level of intimacy that's very uncommon to American individualism. And so it provides an environment and an ambiance and a structure that takes people to a level of connectedness and dependability and transparency and fellowship that most American Christians have never experienced. And I'll say one example. On Sundays in a house church, we have a period of time where we're 
allowing anybody from the body to share prayer requests and praise reports. And in a traditional church, you you don't get that opportunity no, to share your prayer requests. It can't be done. In a house church, you're shocked by how many people have prayer requests and how almost every person in the room has something very difficult going on in their life that in a traditional model, you would have never known. And the traditional model is, hey, how you doing? Oh, we're doing all right. Okay, great. Move on to the next person. Right. In the house church, you walk away and you go, my goodness, everybody's life is tough. <laughs> and there's a sense of the sharing of those tough moments and asking for prayer uh, that brings people to a place of closeness that is just rich and solves the vast majority of those loneliness issues because there's real relationship there. There's a reciprocating, participating fellowship that's occurring that is like the fabric woven together of Christian life. And so house church does that. Now you need a shepherd who can, (laughs) who can really lead you towards that. And it takes a lot of training and time, which is why we started Reformation Seminary. But it is absolutely part of that journey, and it does solve that problem. Yeah, you know, it's almost as if, and, and this seems kind of a pessimistic way of looking at it, but pain, suffering, difficulty, challenges, disappointment, those are almost universal constants in life, not just in life as a whole, but in life of believers as well. And what is a church, if not a place where people gather together and we bring all of our baggage with us and we find hope and we find guidance and direction from God's word and from other believers on what steps to take to move forward uh, with hope in life. And so it's neat to know about this house church model and that it is uniquely designed to meet those needs. Amen. Yeah, it is. We've gone a few centuries with only one way to do church. And there is an alternative that is biblical. And that's really the mission of this show is to teach people how to do that. Well, Dale, I think that's probably a good place for us to wrap this episode. And we want to thank you guys for taking the time to tune in to this episode of How We Do House Church. I want to remind you that it is available in both video and podcast form across all formats. Now, if you happen to have any questions about how you can be trained to plant a biblical house church in your neck of the woods, you've got two options. You can head to ReformationSeminary.com and inquire for more information, or you can order a copy of Dale's book, also titled How We Do House Church. But for now, thanks so much for joining us, and we'll see you next time.